Good morning. <clears throat> Exciting news for the church, amen? Yeah, great stuff, great stuff. I remember when I was in high school, I remember a few things about high school, others I've let go. Uh, I remember that I had this girl that I was madly in love with. Any of you all been madly in love in high school? Just to find out it really wasn't love, right? Uh, but I was in love with this girl. We were good friends, and we worked together on some state youth stuff within West Virginia Baptist Convention, and we spent a lot of time together. And I really liked her, and she really liked me, and she called me with all of her problems, and she wanted to talk all the time and all of that. So one day I just decided, you know what, I'm going to ask her out for a date. And so I asked her, hey, can we go see a movie this weekend? And she paused, and she said, yes, we can, but as long as you know that we're just going as friends. I said, oh. Okay. And she said, because you know, we're such good friends that I don't really want to ruin it by dating. Anybody ever hear that before? What that really means is I'm not interested at all in you, right? And this is a polite way of saying it. And, and kind of my thought was, well, you know, this is kind of like uh, driving a car without gas or shooting a gun without a, out a bullet. To be friends was not quite enough in my day as a teenager I wanted to to date this girl and some of us know what that's like in all kinds of relationships don't we where we just kind of go through the motions but we don't really have any gas in the tank where we we shoot that 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 we have that gun but we don't have that bullet or we have that car we don't have that tank full of gas and it's really not a good feeling is it to have everything except the main thing and we experience this a lot, I think, in our lives with Jesus Christ, that a lot of us who maybe had this fire in the furnace years ago when we received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, or maybe there was a time in our life that we were just so passionate about serving God and doing what He wanted us to do, but then we get to this point where it's kind of like, yeah, I go to church, and yeah, every now and then I read my Bible, and yeah, I still say my prayers, but there's just something missing. And that something missing seems to be really the main thing. This experience, this relationship, this life isn't what it used to be. And sometimes we're not exactly sure what it is that we're missing. Not too long ago, I was reading through the Old Testament. And I ran across a verse I'd really not paid much attention to before. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 12. It says this, they will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine, and the oil, the young of the flocks and the herds. Listen to this, they will be like a well-watered garden and they will sorrow no more. A well-watered garden. And now go over to Isaiah chapter 1 verse 30 and listen to what it says. It says, you will be like an oak with fading leaves, like a garden without water. Now I got to think about this in my own life. I got to think about those times when I've been living that dry life. Going through those emotions without that passion, without that fire, without that thing that seems to just make it all work in my relationship with Christ. And I thought, you know, here it is. Some of us live our lives like a well-watered garden, and some of us live our lives like a dried-up garden. How many of you raise gardens in your backyard? Anybody? At least have a few tomato plants and pots on the back porch or something, right? 
And if you keep that watered and you know how green and how awesome it is and the fruit that it bears, but if you have a drought and you don't provide any water, it dries up and you know the difference and we know the difference in our own lives as well. Uh, you guys are entering into a really exciting new journey as a church. And I can tell you, through my experience, I can tell you four things that I know for sure. I can come back here in a year, and I guarantee you that you will stand up and say, Ed, you were right about these four things. Here's what I know. Number one, some of you will love this new pastor. Some of you will think he is the best thing since sliced bread when he walks in here. Some of you won't like this new pastor at all. He's not who they're used to. Oh, listen to that tense laughter that came. Did you hear that? <laughs> not me, not me. Some of you will be like, well, he's not like the other guy, or he's not like the one 30 years ago, or whatever. Some of you will be in between, and you're like, I'm just not sure. And the fourth thing I can tell you for sure is many of you will change your opinion from one side to the other, and everywhere on the spectrum as this person leads you into new journeys for Jesus Christ. But what I want to tell you is this, is that no matter how much passion he brings to this job, no matter how much experience he brings to this calling, no matter how much vision he brings, he cannot make a difference in the church that you're a part of. You can. He can preach with all kinds of passion. He can lead with all kinds of vision. But depending on how you respond as a congregation will depend on what Clarksburg Baptist Church does for our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. So I would say this to you, no matter if you love Him or no matter if you don't like Him at all, no matter if you're somewhere in between, I would say love Him from the bottom of your heart. Love Him. And that's really what Christ is telling us in this verse that I want us to go to today. He's telling us to kind of Slow down and take an inventory of how much we love. Because love is the bullet in the gun. Love is the gas in the tank. Love is the fire in the furnace. Love is what waters the garden and helps us be those people that God calls us to be. I, I love <clears throat> the invitation to slow down as we approach the communion table today to examine ourselves and really ask, how much do we love? One of my favorite stories I read years ago was about a first grader who wondered why her dad brought home a briefcase full of work every night. And he was so busy. And, and she asked her mom, Mommy, why does Daddy bring home so much work every night? And she says, well, honey, Daddy just doesn't have enough time at work to get it all done. And she says, well, Mommy, why don't they put Daddy in the slower group at work? Right? <laughs> And I'm not so sure that a lot of us don't need to be put in the slower group. To be able to think a little more, to be able to reflect a little more. And that's what we're commanded to do as we come to the communion table. Another one of my favorite stories is, is that great football coach, Vince Lombardi. I, I can remember the story of when his team was getting whipped in the first half. And he, he takes his team in, into the locker room at halftime. He picks up a football and he says, we're going to start with the basics, gentlemen. This is a football. You guys got to be reminded, you're not doing anything right because you have kind of forgotten the basics. You've kind of forgotten what it's all about. And, and if we go to the book of Revelation, God shares with us a group of churches there. In the beginning of that book, He shares with us a group of churches. He, he speaks to them directly. And He kind of puts them in a slower group. He kind of makes them stop and take an inventory of where they are, calling them to examine 
their spiritual lives. He has this language about holding the seven stars and walking among the seven lampstands. And if I can just give you a real layman's interpretation of that, it's really about God holding our spiritual life in His hands, our vitality, our enthusiasm, our commitment, our devotion, His presence in our midst as a church, And the fact that this really isn't about us just kind of taking inventory, but it is about God taking inventory of where we are and then us listening to what he has to say. And so today and next week and and for a couple more weeks as I'm with you, as you guys are are going through your process, I want to talk to you about the eighth church in the book of Revelation. It's not there because we're it. There's seven churches that he addresses there, and we are the eighth church because every one of us today in the church of Jesus Christ need to understand that these words speak to us as well. That the Lord calls us to examine our spiritual vitality. And today we're going to look specifically at what he has to say to the church at Ephesus. And we're going to ask the question, how does this really affect us? Look with me, if you will, as we kind of look at at the question, have we lost the fire that drives the engine? Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hands and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. I don't know about you, but if Jesus were to walk in here to Clarksburg Baptist Church today and he were to stand up front, I would say, go ahead, Jesus, you preach. It's, it's, you, that's fine, right? And, and he would say, hey, guys, here's what I want you to hear. What I want you to hear is you guys have some awesome doctrine. You know, you guys don't tolerate false prophecies. You have stood up against that in your lifetime. You all have persevered in the midst of hardship. Y'all have done great deeds. You've done great work in this community. And probably a lot of us would kind of take a deep breath and puff out our chest and say, yeah, we've done good, ain't we? And then he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first what? Love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, first of all, I think what is very, very easy to interpret in this passage is that he is painting a very clear picture of what it means to go through the motions. You're doing the right things. You've got the correct doctrine. You know, you believe the right thing you got a great Sunday school small group program. You're doing good in youth ministry. You're doing well in the deeds that you're accomplishing and the things you're doing in the community. Yet, as I look into your heart, there's something going on there. Matthew 15, 7 through 9 are very harsh words of Jesus when 
addressing those who are kind of going through the motions as well. He says, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Several weeks ago, when I was here with you, it's actually been more than that, five or six weeks ago when I was here with you, I was talking about how my middle daughter would often stand in church when they were, the children's choir was singing and she would just kind of stand there like this. And other kids would belt it out. You remember me talking about that? And you all have had that experience, right? As a pastor, you cringe whenever your kid gets in front of the church. You have no idea what's going to happen, right? And, and, and yet that's the way some of us are. Some of us are just going through the motions. And some of us are on fire. Some of us are just kind of standing with our arms crossed going, uh-huh. I believe the right things. I go to church. I give a tithe. I go to Sunday school. I participate in a couple of the outreach ministries. You know what? I, I do all that's needed to do. And other people are like, you know what? I really don't care what I do. I'm just in love with Jesus. And whatever he calls me to do, I'm willing to do. Well, here's the thing. Some of you will hear this and you'll go, okay. I know you're talking to me yet. I know that the Spirit is using you to talk to me because, frankly, I'm sitting here today and I have lost the fire. Frankly, I'm sitting here today and I'm like a dried up tomato plant. I need someone to pour some water on me, get some miracle grow out, and address my roots, right? I know who I am. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try so much harder to do better. I'm going to come to church more often. I'm going to participate in more ministry. I'm going to do all these things. And I want to tell you something. You'll be just as dead and dry as you were before. Because it's not about what you do. It's about who you're in love with. Who do you love? Return to your first love. You remember it, right? You remember when you surrendered yourself to Christ. You remember when that freedom that we sang about in that song to begin the service was so real to you. You remember the difference in your heart and in your step and in your thoughts and in your speech and in everything else. And God says, remember how much you loved me. Because love is the fire that drives the engine. He says to the church at Ephesus, you have forsaken your first love, literally the love you had at first. And because of this, you're doing good things. You're pretty much just going through the motions. You all know this. You've been to enough weddings. 1 Corinthians 13, right? Verse 1 through 3. Let's just look at that. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. So what do we do? What do we do when we find ourselves in that very real place in life where we have lost that first love? Well, Jesus tells us what to do. He says, repent. And to repent, you know what that is. You did that at some point when you received Christ. You basically said, Lord, I turned my back on how I was. And I turned my back on me running my own life. And I turned my back on all this other stuff because I, I turned myself completely over to you. I, I surrender. That old hymn, I surrender all. Everything I give you, Lord. I, I, I belong to you. I am sorry 
for what I've been doing that has not brought a smile to your face. I'm sorry for the sin in my life, and I want to be that person that you want me to be. It's really not anything that you can do to make yourself love Jesus. Listen to me. How many of you have had that high school sweetheart? And you're like, well, if I could just make her love me, if I could make him love me, it doesn't work that way. Like I grew up, and I knew what real love was when I met my wonderful wife back here, Krista. She loves attention. Everybody look at her and wave. She loves that. She loves that. So. <laughs> the fact is, if you want to fall in love with Jesus again, you got to just say, Jesus, change my heart. And be willing to let him do the work. He's the one that can do that work. Now, are there things I can do? Yeah. You can read scripture. You can pray. You need to do that stuff. You can hang out with Christians. It's very obvious in scripture. You need to do that. You need to come and worship. Those are the places where God will do that work. But that's not the stuff that does that work. It's God that responds and God changes your heart. If you're here today and you're dried up and you've lost the fire in the furnace and you lost your first love, you simply need to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Create in me this new heart. Lord, give it back to me. I want it again. Work in me and I'll be obedient to whatever you call me to do to help you do that work in my life. And what is this love? It's just all about this love for Jesus. The church is called, called back first to their love for Christ. Not to their traditions, not to their church, not to the past, not to their buildings, not to their style of music, not to their youth programs, not to their specific leaders or pastors, not to their Sunday school teachers, not to their circle of friends at the church, not to anything else that, that, that we all look at as part of our faith experience, but it's just right back to the heart of, call me back to my love for you. <laughs> Whether I'm here or on a desert island somewhere, just call me back to my love for you. I had a seminary professor that used to quote a bunch of theologians like this. He would say, it's not your experience of Christ, but it's the Christ of your experience. Many of us love church. Many of us love our traditions. Many of us love our Christian brothers and sisters. Many of us love our worship services. Many of us love our prayer times. Many of us love our small groups, and that's okay. But it's like a clanging gong or a cymbal if it's not all rooted in your love for Jesus. In your relationship, everyday relationship with Jesus Christ. In Luke 10, 25-28, we see this story with Christ. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus and said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, What is written in the law? And he replied, How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Isn't it amazing? If someone would ask me this question 20 years ago, I'd have said, well, you know, say this particular prayer and walk down front on Sunday morning and we'll let everybody know that you've surrendered to Christ. That's not what he says here. I'm not against that. But this is where it starts. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, everything 
that you are, surrender it to him. Maybe you find yourself in this position today where you've lost this fire and it's time for you to return to your love for God. Remember how much God loves you. Isn't it easy to forget that? And some of you are like, oh, I'll never forget how much God loves me. I do. I forget it every single day. Every single day, there are things that I, I need to happen that God needs to get my attention and remind me, remember how much I love you. There's a, a true story told of Time magazine, and they had over 350 people working to actually get subscription renewals from people who had current subscriptions. And, and they would had this campaign where they would try to kind of shame people into it. They would write these personal letters of people saying, you know, would you dare let your kids grow up in a house without Time magazine on the coffee table? You know, that would be the kind of things that they would write. And someone at an executive level decided that they were spending way too much money on this 350-person staff. And so they got one of the earliest computers, and they, they figured out that they could gen generate these letters by computer. And so there was this farmer in Montana that got a letter to renew a subscription, something like that. It was kind of a, a tearjerker kind of thing about your kids or whatever. And he got another one, and he got another one. And through a computer glitch, he got 12,734 letters. All of them were personally, quote-unquote, written, different little things. He opened every single one of them, read every single one of them, wrote a personal letter back to the president of time, and said, I give up, renew my subscription, right? God has done way more than 12,000 and some messages to you of how much he loves you, of how much you need him of how much he can change your life, of how much he can change your marriage, of how much he can change your church, of how much he can give you every single thing you need. For some of us, it's just time that we just say, okay, God, I give. I give. Not about me, but about you. I surrender everything to you. And when that happens you'll find out that God calls you to another kind of love, and that is what he's calling to the church at Ephesus as well. They're called back to their love for one another. Because our love for others is completely tied to our love for Christ. You all know this, right? You've been in church, and you've heard other people talk about this. 1 John 3, 16 through 20. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees others in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Some of us get so absolutely protective about right doctrine. Some of us get so protective about right traditions. Some of us get so passionate about certain things, but we forget that what God tells us to be passionate about is loving Him and loving others. And we can say we do. We can start programs that love others, but it's really just like, Hey, Ed, let me follow you around for a week. How do you treat your wife? How do you treat your kids? How do you treat the waitress at Applebee's? 
How do you treat the guy who calls you the telemarketer on the phone? How do you treat all of those people? Do you love with the same love that God has shared with you? None of you are invited to do that, by the way. Because you would see that I fail miserably. Because I need to be reminded every day, God loves me. He calls me back to love Him. And out of that love, to love others. 1 Peter 4, 7-10, through 10, The end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray above all. Listen to that. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without... <clears throat> what? Grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And God says, church at Ephesus, you've forgotten how you used to love each other. I know Jim did a great job teaching you through the, the book of Ephesians. You go back to Ephesians chapter 1, one of the things they're commended for is their love for all the saints and their love for the Lord. But for some reason, they've forgotten all this. Love God, love others, and when you do that, you'll figure out that those others also involve the ones who aren't like me. It's the world out there. You start to realize it's really not about those of us on this side of these walls of this church. It's really about everyone who's out there this morning. It's really about God coming to die for you and coming to die for me. But if you're already here and you already know Him, you already got that. It's those people out there that he wants you to take that message to. They're in your family, they're at your workplace, they're in your school, they're in your community, they're everywhere. And we are called to love them with the same love that God loved us with. I read one time a quote that says, So grave is the sin of lovelessness in a church. This is it. You've got a new pastor coming in. You've got a new era of ministry going on. And I'm going to preach, and I'm going to preach, and I'm going to preach. You probably won't want me to come back anymore about how incredibly important it is to love that person. If you don't like what they're doing, you'll love them anyways. If you don't like the decisions they're making, you'll love them anyways so that you can have the kind of relationship where you can talk to one another and you can move forward in your journey of faith. If you leave some of your traditions under the leadership of the new pastor, you love him anyways, and you love God anyways, and you love one another. It's there that you can have those conversations about, I'm grieving the things I've lost. I disagree with your opinions without it becoming the kind of nonsense that so many churches get embroiled in. Because love is what drives the engine. It's there from cover to cover in your Bible. But it starts with you. Are you in love with Jesus? Do you love others? Do you love the world out there that's lost that God calls you to go to? Would you join me in a word of prayer?